Hello and welcome to Evergreen Church Sermon Podcasts. Tune in every week for our sermon series. We continue the sermon series about prayer, with Season 2, Episode 6, Great Prayers in the Bible. First Message, The Entrance of the King, House of Prayer. Second Message, Jesus' Final Prayer. Welcome, welcome to God's house today. It uh, sure is good to see everybody here this morning, and uh, it was so great to wake up this morning and to not have snow up here. Um, uh, We were prepared, we were prepared. Hey, as we get ready for worship, um, I'd like to begin by reading from Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. This is Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Holy Week, so let's bow together and let's pray. You know, Father, how different things are today than they were on that day that we call Palm Sunday when you, Lord Jesus, came into Jerusalem. That day there were people, Jews, from all over the Roman world that had traveled to Jerusalem for Passover. It was the place to be. In fact, if you were a male over the age of 18, it was required in the Old Testament scriptures that you would be there every year. And here we live, Lord, in an unchurched area where most people, most people don't worship, most people don't seek you, most people don't travel to be in your presence. And so, Lord, we pray that today, on Palm Sunday, that you would be causing people to stir in their spirits, whether they come into a church building today or not, that they would realize that something different is happening today, and that that would then lead to Good Friday, and it would lead to Easter Sunday, or as we like to say, Resurrection Sunday. So as we go from the high of your entrance into the city today as we begin worship to the darkness caused by the cross. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place and that you would be touching hearts and minds for people who have known you for decades and decades and decades to people who have just met you to people who may not even know you. We just pray that you would be glorified by all that happens here today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we get started, that Palm Sunday, that first Palm Sunday, as Jesus came into the city, the text says, and we'll be reading it, that uh, his followers and others from the crowd that were coming into Jerusalem joined in praising and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Father, we just pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit in such a way that the Holy Spirit would be our breath, is in our lungs. And that today as we praise you, 
that it would be driven from the Holy Spirit, which is inside of us, that then lifts up our spirits and lifts up our voices. That we would praise the King of Kings who entered into Jerusalem on that on that Palm Sunday. Except for we see you as a Messiah, as you actually are, not as they hoped you would be. And so, Lord, come into our space today, come into our lives today, ride in that don- on that donkey as the servant and suffering Messiah. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading from Scripture today, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 13. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples and the people who were traveling with them, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And and the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them, and most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them along the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. May God add the reading to the reading of his holy word. Well, our... um, our Palm Sunday worship service is a little different than most worship services. Normally we would go right into a prayer time and things like that, but we break the service into two portions. And the first portion of this is um, what I'm calling the, the Palm Sunday portion and our um, text we've already read. And so let's pray as we come to God's preached word. God, we, we read from Matthew's Gospel about the entrance of the king. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the full of a beast of burden. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to see what the people saw that first Palm Sunday, but that we would understand why you did what you did. And so be with us now 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The original text of the Old Testament, whether it was written in Hebrew, believe it or not, there's a little bit in Daniel that was written in Ugaritic, and there's the New Testament, which is primarily written in New Testament Koine Greek, except for a few quotes in Aramaic. Believe it or not, if you take a look at your Bible, you're going to see titles as you go as you look through the page. You'll see chapter numbers, you will see verse numbers, and the original text did not have that. And this is one instance where it would be important to remove, take white out. I don't know what your Bible says, but you, you, we have Jesus coming into the town, and then there is a heading that's there that says Jesus cleanses the temple. And just in your mind, just white out that heading. Because it's making it seem like there is a gap. But that is a part of, of the king coming in and what he did. And to have that gap there helps us to lose the picture of what Jesus was really doing that day. So the question might come to mind when you're thinking of a king or a queen, where does the king reside? The king resides in a palace, right? That's what we would normally think. Well, David was king um, 500 or so years before Jesus. And when Jerusalem became the center, the holy city, city of David, David didn't live in a palace. David lived in a tent. They were nomadic people. Um, Interestingly enough, the presence of God at that point in time, from the time of, um, of Moses onward, uh, dwelt between the cherubim on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which when it was not set up in that tabernacle, um, you know, it, it moved. But it basically, the tabernacle was a big tent. And so what we have is we have the king living in a tent and the presence of God living in a tent. David, for some reason, thought that, you know, kings are supposed to live in a palace. And so <laughs> that's what he did. He, he, he contacted another king, uh, Hiram, who was a king up in Tyre, which was up in what we would call Lebanon, and, um, and contracted with him to get building materials and laborers to build himself a palace. And that's what, what he did. Hiram sent um, carpenters. He sent cedars of Lebanon. He sent stone workers. And they built a marvelous, marvelous palace for David. And one day, while David was living in his palace, um, he kind of looked out and there was a tent. Who resided in the tent and who resided in the palace? David resided in the palace. God's presence resided in a tent. David felt conflicted and he wanted to build a temple, not a palace, but a temple to worship God. And the Lord told him through prophet, no, you will not build the temple. Your son will. 
because you are a man of the sword, and so your son Solomon will build the temple. And so David gathered a lot of the materials, including seers of Lebanon and stones that would be used to build the temple when Solomon had the temple built. So picture David sitting there in this palace, looking out there and realizing that God's presence lived in a tent. Solomon takes over, and um, Solomon builds that temple. So then when Solomon would be in the palace that he would live in as king, he then would look out and he would see the temple where God resided in the Holy of Holies, a magnificent, a magnificent structure. When Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar and his army overthrew Judah, the southern kingdom that was still remaining, he did a lot of things, but three things he did that I want to look, just, look, just mention today. Number one, he tore down the temple. He tore down the temple because that was the identity of the people. That was the place where God's presence lived. He tore down the temple. He tore down the temple so that there could be no sacrifices. He tore down the temple. He tore down the palace that the king lived in. Why? Because there was not going to be another king. He tore down the palace of the king. And third, he tore down the walls of Jerusalem that protected the holy city that made it a safe place to be. Interestingly enough, under the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came back, they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the wall. They didn't rebuild the palace of the king. Actually, the scriptures don't say when the palace of the king was rebuilt, but we know that the one that was in Jerusalem at the time when Jesus lived was built by Herod. Herod reigned from about 6 B.C. on, and he built three palaces. But he built a palace in Jerusalem because that was the center of the, the Jewish world. And he was king as, as, as an interesting word for it. He was a governor. He was placed there by Caesar to rule over that area. And the palace he built was magnificent. The only thing that shadowed it a little bit was the temple itself. So when Jesus came into Jerusalem as king on that first Palm Sunday, he did not go to the king's residence. Did you notice that? Where did he go? He went to the residence of the glory of God on earth. He went to the temple. You see, if you, if you take a look at your Bible and they have a and they have a break there, it makes it seem like it was at a later time that Jesus went there. No, Jesus rode into town, and the people followed him, and he went straight to the temple. Because that was the house of God. Because that was the house of God. And he did something that he had done once before. Early in his ministry, he went to Jerusalem and he threw out the, um, the money changers and, and all of that stuff like he did this time. He even had a whip that he made out of cords. And they didn't understand why he did that. Because 
Those people were supposed to be there. Now, what do I mean by they were supposed to be there? When people traveled to Jerusalem for the holy days, this was one of the three that was required um, pilgrimage day, um, they, they came from afar. You know, if you, if you traveled from where Jesus normally resided and lived, it was at least a three days journey. And people did not bring with them the animals that needed to be sacrificed. They had to buy them someplace. And so there were stalls that were set up inside the temple for people to buy the things that they would use for, for their sacrifices. And particularly on this particular day, uh, they would go and they would buy lambs. On that Palm Sunday day, that was the day when they brought the lambs into Jerusalem that would be sold to people, to pilgrims that were coming, because you're supposed to have that lamb be a part of your household for a period of time. And so they would buy the, the, the lamb on that Sunday, then they would take it home or to where they were staying until it's time to sacrifice for, for, sacrifice it for the Passover. What people didn't realize, and which maybe you and I don't realize, is that Jesus kicked those people out for a very good reason. And that reason was they were not going to need those lambs for sacrifice or Passover. They weren't going to need to buy any more sacrifices in the temple courts ever again because Jesus was going to be the one sacrifice that paid it all. Thank you, choir, for singing Jesus paid it all. Because that's exactly what he did. Never again did they need to have sacrifices because Jesus paid it all. You see, when he came into Jerusalem, you know, he came in as king and he went to the temple because he was going to be the sacrifice, but he set something new for that place to be. Rather than a place where sacrifices took place, rather than a place where blood was going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins, knowing that he was going to take away all of our sins, he was going to shed that blood. He quotes from the Old Testament when he came in, and what he says, he says this, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. He didn't say God's house will be a house of prayer. He said my house will be the house of prayer because he was and is God. He wanted to take that place where sacrifices for paying the sins for the sins of people, clear that out because he did that on the cross. He says, now make this place a place of prayer. Make this place a place of prayer. He didn't say who to pray for, but I'm sure he meant pray for you, pray for your families, pray for our people, pray for our place of worship here, pray that people would come to know the one that this place represents, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No, he came to Jerusalem as the sacrifice lamb who would be slain later in the week. But he says, make this place a place of prayer. My house will be a place of prayer. Today, on Palm Sunday, let's remember, behold your king 
not only is coming to you, but has come to you. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And that he has borne our sins. Sacrifices no longer need to be made. He wants this place and all places of worship that worship him to be a place of prayer. Most people who go to churches on, um, on any given Sunday will attend a worship service on Palm Sunday and, um, and then they won't... You can go ahead and close the, the blinds now. Um, they won't go to a Good Friday worship service. Most Good Friday worship services are really poorly attended. So what ends up happening is that people go from the high of Palm Sunday to the high of Easter and just skip right over Jesus' death. So one of the things that we do here is we have a break in this worship service. And you know, we've tried doing um, Good Friday worship services up here. We get maybe eight or ten people. We all, no matter how long we've followed Christ, need to come face to face with the darkness of Good Friday. Good Friday, that first one, was not good in the sense that you and I think good. The good thing that happened was the sacrifice lamb was killed. Not just to cover sins, but to take away sin. But we're going to sing a song that talks about that day, and we're not going to do the last verse because the last verse is about resurrection. It wants to come to the cross. It was dark for three plus hours on that day as Jesus was on the cross. We need to experience that darkness. We need to experience as best we can what people felt and saw that day. And so we start our second part of the worship service. Reading from John's Gospel. Begin with verse number 19, chapter 19, verse number 16, pardon me. So, the, so they delivered him, that's Jesus, over to them, to the Romans, to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth King of the Jews. Several hours went by. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge 
full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Crucifixion was horrible. Rome excelled in ways to keep people in line. One of the ultimate ways they did that was to crucify people who were disobedient. It was possible on any given day of the week when you came into Jerusalem that you would go past a dead body hanging on a cross. Typically, they left them there as a gruesome reminder of what happened or what would happen if you went against Rome. What they didn't realize is that from the foundation of the earth, from before then, God's plan for you and me and for all humanity involved and revolved around what happened that day on a cross along the road that went into Jerusalem. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it wasn't an afterthought that Jesus decided that he needed to pay the price. Chapter 3 of Genesis, I've said many, many times, after they sinned, God killed an animal to make clothing that would cover their sin, not to take it away, but to cover it. All the sacrifices that took place, whether it was in the tabernacle or whether it was in the temple, after the temple was built, all those sacrifices looked forward, they didn't know it, but looked forward to the time when the sacrifice would take place of the Lamb of God, which would take away the sins of the world. That day, as people stood and looked at a cross, except for there was a man, Jesus, on it, with an inscription over the top that said, this is Jesus, the Son of God, written in three languages, in three languages. Pilate wanted people to know what he was being crucified for, or who it was and what he was being crucified for. He was being crucified for being the king of the Jews. As Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It was God's kingdom, heavenly kingdom, that we can experience in part now, but we'll experience it in full face-to-face when the time comes. (coughs) 
In Exodus, when God had the Israelites slay a Passover lamb and to put the blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass by, it was looking forward to the doorpost of God's kingdom, which was the cross. And that the blood that was shed on that, and those who came to that cross and said, I need you, Jesus, because I can't do this on my own. I need you in my life. That doorpost, the cross post covered in blood, would be that which would cause the ultimate angel of death to pass by. If you love Jesus, you have been marked by the blood that he shed on the cross. His death was sufficient to pay the price for every sin that ever was and ever will be committed. But to make it personal, it was sufficient to pay for the sins that you have committed. You've committed in the past, the ones you'll commit in the future, the ones that you'll commit today, and the same for me. But it is efficient, becomes effective when we say yes to Jesus. And when that happens, our sins are not just covered up. They're taken away because he has paid that price. A powerful, powerful, expensive price. That's how valuable you are. That's how valuable I am. In the eyes of God, you are valuable enough that if you were the only person who ever lived on the face of the earth, that Jesus would still have died for you. It is a shame that Christians jump from Good Friday, not Good Friday, but from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday and don't pause to think like we are today of what it meant. Our salvation meant Jesus, the third person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the one who was involved in the creation as we see in John chapter 20. If we read in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the, of, the, of the deep and what happens, and God spoke. And in John 1, we know that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the one who did the speaking and created everything. That's the one that died on a cross like that for you and for me. If nothing else happens in the worship service today, know that you are dearly, dearly loved. Dearly, dearly loved. And that he has paid for you. If you said yes to him, he has forgiven you. And you are now his adopted child of the king. But today, let's not go that far. Let's just pause and remember what he did so that we could live you know, we've been going through this series called, you know, the you know, prayers of the Bible. This little segment here is Great Prayers of the Bible. Today is 
a declaration. It is a final prayer. It says up there on the screen, great prayers of the Bible, Jesus' final prayer. Do you know what his final prayer was? It is finished. It is finished. He took care of it once for all. The New Testament says that through one man, sin entered into the world. Through one, sin was defeated and taken out, and that's Jesus. Let's just be silent for a little bit and come to grips with Jesus on the cross, thinking of you, saying, It is finished.